the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Somebody will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Right. Thank you for joining us tonight for the Bible Live, the quiz show. We are in our place. John is across the table waiting on your phone calls for the next 90 minutes. 340-9585. 340-9585. Rich has already called in early for the tonight's program. I'm, I'm looking forward to visiting with Rich and finding out what in the world could be on his mind that he wants to get on the air here with us from the very beginning. Let me get throw out just a couple of questions, though from our assigned or our scheduled readings from this past week. Uh, it was a little bit of a, of a mixture, our readings this past week, from the Psalms and the Proverbs, and then also from the Gospel of Luke. We finished the Gospel of Luke uh, this week in our reading schedule, Luke chapters 20 through 24, and then we jumped back to the Tanakh, to the Hebrew Scriptures, chapters 1 uh, of the book of First Samuel, to chapter 14. So those are very, very eventful chapters, all of them. And uh, we have some good questions for you. Let me throw out a few questions but just before I get on the phone with Rich. And uh, we will let you begin to call in if you'd like and answer some questions. And uh, maybe we can have some, some great discussions tonight all around 
the book, the great old book, uh, the book of books. Well, let's see now from Psalm 55. Psalm 55 is considered uh, by some to be a messianic psalm because it describes betrayal by a friend. Now, we've already uh, established that a messianic psalm is one that in some way uh, describes or uh, helps us identify the Messiah, messianic psalm, some characteristic, some uh, aspect of his life that uh, could be looked for. And uh, this Psalm 55 is considered to be a messianic psalm because it describes betrayal by a friend. Who betrayed Jesus? All right. Who betrayed Jesus? Uh, if you can answer that question, give us a call. 340-9585. 340-9585. Now then, let's go to uh, the uh, Gospel of Luke. What did the Passover meal commemorate for the Jews? What did the Passover meal commemorate for the Jews? And what new meaning did Jesus give to the Passover meal uh, in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20? What new meaning did Jesus give to the Passover meal uh, as opposed to the traditional uh, meal what, that as it was now? Some would say, well, that was the new meaning Jesus gave was always the meaning. Actually, the other was uh, was the symbol of it. But uh, we, we can talk about that as well. But what new meaning did Jesus give to the Passover meal? Uh, th- uh, thirdly, third question here. When Jesus died, what curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom on the day Jesus died? What curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? You'll find that in Luke chapter 23, verse 45. And then I want to get into this tonight because it gets uh, it's a topic I'd like for us to talk about a little bit. Uh, Before going out to preach the gospel, after Jesus died, resurrected, before going out to preach the gospel, the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem until what happened? Until what happened? Uh, So if you can answer that question, then give us a call. 340-9585. I'm writing down a note here real quick. 340-9585 is the phone number. And if you can answer those or, or give a thought about them, I'd love to hear from you. Let's go ahead and get to our uh, phone line right now and visit a little bit with Rich. Rich, sorry to keep you waiting, but I wanted to get a few calls, a few uh, questions. That's all right, Toby. I had a strange thing happen to me this. uh, I don't have the best memory in the world, but uh, I had a strange thing happen to me uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh Uh, I woke up in the morning on both days. And I and I know this sounds weird, but uh, like I said, my memory is sometimes is not the best. But Meshach and Shadrach, those two names popped into my head right away as soon as I got out of bed. What, uh, what part of, are they part of the Bible that I'm not remembering? Or uh, yes, do those names sound familiar to you? Uh, let's see. Yes, it does. They're very very familiar. Those are the Babylonian names. 
for the uh, three Hebrew friends of Daniel. Remember when they that's were what t- I, That's what I thought, but uh-huh. I thought, how come I'm not remembering the third name? Uh, I uh, think it was Shadrach. Well, I, I said Meshach and Shadrach were oh. the two names that popped into my head each morning, those two mornings. It was Abednego. Oh, boy, no wonder I didn't remember. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, oh, and Abednego. Uh, they were the, those were their Babylonian names. I, I, I'm having to try to think real hard to remember because, as Jim always reminds us, that they, of course, they were trying to strip them of their identity and so they changed, gave them Babylonian names that referred to Babylonian gods uh, instead of their the Hebrew names. And well, it, it was pretty strange uh, anyway, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I didn't know what was coming off. Uh, I've been having some strange dreams of my own recently, Rich. So that's interesting. Anyway, uh, one of those questions I'd like to try and answer. Okay. Uh, like I told you many times, I go by memory. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking Judas Iscariot. You got it exactly right. Who Some consider Psalm 55 to be a messianic psalm because it describes betrayal by a friend and who betrayed Jesus. And you're right, Judas Iscariot. Do you remember uh, how he betrayed Jesus? Yeah, it was 30 pieces of silver. Yes. And uh, that's what he was given. And uh, then he uh, betrayed him by walking up to him in front of that crowd. And he said, the one that I kiss will be the one you're after. That's right. And exactly. And uh, right. then he uh, betrayed. He with tried the kiss. to give the money back, and uh, they didn't want it. Uh, That's right. Because it's blood money. Then he uh, committed suicide. Yeah. He, he... Yeah, which is too easy of a way out for him. I thought. <laughs> You're a hard man. Anyway, there, thank you. Rich. You're a hard man. Thank well, you. thanks for calling in. I appreciate hearing from you. That's great. You helped. Well, thanks for telling me what the scoop is on those two names. I I was going kind of nuts. You can look them up in the book of Daniel. I think it's chapters 2 and 3 there, if you want. That's what what I'm going to be doing. All right, friend. Talk to you later, Thanks, Sophie. All right. Let's go to another listener already on the line. We've got a number of wanting to answer some questions. Let's go visit with William here on line 2. Hi, William. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Is it William or Bill? I guess William. Well, French, French call me Bill, too. Uh, okay. I would like to speak to uh, Jacob. Oh, Jacob is uh, here in the studio tonight, Bill. I, I, he's not with us this evening. I, I have not been able to connect with him this week. I, I'm guessing he might be just taking some time off, needed time of rest or something, but I have not been uh, able to connect with him. I have, I have some questions about the Old Testament, and he's a scholar of it. Oh, he is, so I'll, without I'll, a doubt. I miss him terribly. Can I call them on Sunday? Uh Uh-huh. Next Sunday? Yes. I will call again, yes. Thank you very much, William. Thank you so much. You You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's go and visit now with uh, Paul. Uh, Paul is on another line here. Paul, thank you for calling in. I'm glad to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm all right, Paul. Thank you very much. Would like to answer one of your questions. Okay, did you? Which one, or do you want me to just pick out one for you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll go through them real again, real, again, real quick, Let's and I'll tell you. Here, um, what did the Passover meal commemorate for the Jewish people? You know, we're talking about the, in the Gospel of Luke in the time of Jesus. What did the Passover meal commemorate for them, for the Jewish people, and what new meaning did Jesus give to it? 
at the what is called the Last Supper, the Passover meal there with his disciples in chapter 22 of Luke. So what did the Passover meal commemorate originally? And then what new meaning did Jesus give it? That's one question. When Jesus died on Friday at, uh, on, uh, of the of crucifixion week there, um, let me see what I'm looking for. What curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? There was a, a, temp, a curtain that's mentioned in chapter 23, verse 45, that was torn from top to bottom. And it was quite tall, so that was not uh, easy to do. And it was against the seams, it is thought. So uh, if you know what curtain was, was torn in the temple, any one of those you like, we will try another one. Well, let's go with the Passover meal. Okay. What did it commemorate for the Jewish people? How did they understand it and celebrate it at that time? Their release from Egypt. Exactly right. No doubt about it, when Moses brought them out of Egypt, another uh, Moses, a picture of Messiah, Redeemer, Savior, Hero, and he brings them out of Egypt. Uh, and then now what new meaning did Jesus, he takes them into the promised land, by the way. And, and what new, no, he didn't take them in, did he? He, he uh, got them to the promised land. And then what yeah. new meaning, uh, what new meaning does Jesus give, Paul, to the Passover meal in chapter 22 of Luke? Well, it was the Last Supper, and it was his uh, yeah. exit from for their benefit, for the disciples' benefit. Yeah, he said, uh, remember he says, remember at the Passover meal, they're, they're, they would drink, they would eat. He said, take, this is my... Blood, this, is my, my this is my body, and this is my blood, Yes, and uh, it's given for you. In other words, he, he's talking about the fact that just as God took the people of Israel out of Egypt, delivering them from bondage and so on, and delivered them. Yeah, he delivered them from the sin of the yes. total, now total he's, sin. Yet now he, God so loved the world that he gave his only, the world so that we could be his delivered from the power of sin and darkness. And it's yeah. a great, beautiful, wonderful picture. And, uh, of course, Jesus is the one that paints it for us there in Luke chapter 22. Appreciate you calling Amen. in. Great answers. I'm glad you you guys are getting better. You are getting, uh, you're, you're getting to know the book really, really well. I'm, I'm excited. That well, I, uh, that was great. I can give you another answer. If All you... right. Sure. Let's try this one. Now, this one I think is significant. I, I'm, um, I'm wondering if you might know this one. Uh, before going out to preach the gospel... After Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, the disciples were told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem. They weren't supposed to go out uh, immediately. He told them to wait there because something very special was going to happen. In chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 49, uh, what is it they were supposed to be waiting for, Paul? Jesus was going to send his comforter, the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, exactly right. I'm not sure it was Jesus that, uh, that sent, because he said, uh, the Father. I, he says, I have to go away yeah. because so the Father yeah. can send the Spirit, which is interesting. Spirit. It's just, a, I don't know if that's a word, simply a matter of, uh, of uh, linguistics or if there was a significance about the Father sending the Spirit. But uh, uh -huh. eh, that's a topic we could talk about tonight. Do it. That's a topic we could talk about tonight because... The idea of, he said, the Father, here you have Jesus, the Messiah, 
uh, the the eternal Son of God incarnate, who took on flesh so that he could uh, live out a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience, submission to the Father, to the Spirit, as a man, walking out a perfect life of faith as a man. And then now here you have the Son say, talking about the Father, which Jesus often did. He prayed to the Father. Uh, Father, not my will, but yours be done, you know, and so on. And then he says the Father is going to send this other person uh, of the Godhead, the Spirit. And so you have these three distinct persons being uh, referred to in this very passage and many other passages as well. And and uh, so it brings naturally to us the question about this idea of the Godhead, of the plurality of the Godhead, uh, three distinct persons, uh, but with one it, so so perfectly united in their love for each other and their in their character, in their will and their desire and in their action that that we can accurately, correctly know them as one true and living God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So this uh, that's something we could talk about tonight, because uh, one of my questions was, do you have can you give me a thought as to why did the Holy Spirit now, when we say the Holy Spirit came, uh, they were to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit had never visited planet Earth before, uh, obviously, because he's everywhere. The Holy Spirit is God. He's everywhere present at all times. He's, you know, he's omnipresent just as uh, like God, <laughs> like he is God. So he's everywhere present at all times. He's uh, he'd been here. But this was his coming in a new relationship with God's people. The Holy Spirit was coming in a new a relationship in the Old Testament, we don't see uh, the Holy Spirit permanently coming uh, I- I- to uh, to indwell and to escort personally every believer uh, to glory. We don't see that in the in the Hebrew Scriptures. He came upon individuals for a given time of of uh, 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 warfare or a given challenge or a given task. But he didn't permanently, even David prayed, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And remember, God removed his spirit from, from Saul, you know, the first king. of. We, we read about that in our, our reading from 1 Samuel. But why did the Holy Spirit begin this new relationship with the people of God at, that particular, at this particular time in history? Any thoughts on that? Why, why did he begin to indwell permanently indwell his people to escort them to glory why did he only begin to do that it, it, it after uh the death resurrection and uh, an ascension of messiah any any thoughts about that yes give me a thought i think i think that he dwelt among the people because the people had felt like uh, they were orphaned Mm. Yes. Oh, they would be alone as well because Jesus would leave them. And remember, they were they were in a big funk. They were they were they needed something lonely. Yes, they were they were they were afraid for one, and they were lonely, and uh, they were confused. Uh, they they had seen the resurrected Jesus, uh, but there was they had to be. But remember, Jesus said he will, he will come, he will comfort you, and he will lead you, guide you into all truth. Uh, he will empower you. You, know, you shall be my witnesses when in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ultimate, uh, you know, the last uttermost parts of the world. 
So this was a special time, and I like your thought. It partially was the need of the, the disciples. They needed encouragement. They needed the empowering. But why did it happen? Why did it not happen before? And why did it happen at that time? I, I want to p- keep that question out there. Maybe someone else has a, a thought for us about it. But I want to congratulate you. Good job tonight, friend, on the questions. And I'm Thank proud you. of you. Good to hear you knowing the word. Thanks for calling in. You can call and do what our listeners have done already. Answer questions and, and enjoy the time. I'd love to hear from you. 340-9585. And uh, I, 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 uh, if you have questions about the Gospel of Luke, about uh, the Bible in general, uh, the, the big picture of the Scriptures, uh, or about the book of First Samuel. I didn't. I'm not sure I got in, in, into any questions from the book of First Samuel, but let me put out a couple of questions there. Uh, I'll repeat this question from the Gospel of Luke: When Jesus died, what curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? When Jesus died, what curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? Now, also on the cross, Jesus quoted a. From Psalm 22, and it's a very well-known quote. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, uh, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they thought he was talking about Elias, uh, not understanding. So that's one famous quote. But there is another passage of Scripture that Jesus quotes on the cross that doesn't get a lot of attention. I, I don't know a lot of times if people... Maybe folks don't realize that it is actually a quote from Psalm um, 31. It's a quote from Psalm 31. Uh, Now, you could look at Luke chapter 23, verse 46. There's the the, the quote. He quotes from a a psalm. And I want you to tell me, if you know, uh, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you where the psalm is. It's Psalm 31, verse 5. Psalm 31, 5. And you might be surprised to know that when Jesus said this, uh, he was actually quoting a verse from the uh, Hebrew script, from the Old Testament, from the Tanakh. Uh, Give us a call if you'd like to, if you know what was that other verse that he quoted on the cross. All right, that's Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Now let's go to the book of 1 Samuel. The priest Eli saw this woman named Hannah at the tabernacle, and he thought she was drunk. But what was she really doing? What was really going on? The priest, the high priest Eli, saw Hannah, this woman, at the tabernacle and thought she was drunk. What was she doing? And by the way, I will go ahead and tell you, Hannah turns out to be the mother of, of Samuel, the the one whose whose name is given to this book, First and Second Samuel. Uh, so uh, Hannah is his mother. But this is early in the story, telling the story of uh, how Samuel came to around and all. The priest Eli saw Hannah at the tabernacle. He thought she was drunk. What was she doing that made him think she was drunk? Okay, now let's go to another one. Um. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, 
Hannah, uh, and you'll obviously the reason Hannah gives a prayer of praise and thanksgiving and worship to God, and she celebrates God's control over two specific aspects of human existence. Look at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Uh, she celebrates God's control over two aspects, uh, specific aspects of human existence. What are they? All right, so if you can tell us that. And I'll, I see a little bit of a prophetic or messianic edge to this as well, to this passage. But uh, you tell me, what are two things that God con- controls according to uh, Hannah's prayer of praise in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. All right, so there you have that. Let me give you one other question here from the book of Samuel. Uh, now we're going to jump to chapter 9. Uh, Samuel, of course, we early chapters tell how Samuel w- was born and so on and how he began, uh, how he grew up. And uh, at this time, though, we're well into his ministry and Saul uh, was out on an errand. Now, Samuel is a pivotal in, 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 uh, personality in the Bible. Uh, he is a transitional person from the uh, in the Old Testament. He transitions from the time of the judges when Samuel uh, is born. He probably was a contemporary of uh, of uh, Samson, the last of the twelve. Uh, judges that we look at in the book of Judges. Uh, and Samuel was probably a contemporary of, of uh, Samson. Samuel transitioned to Israel away from the emphasis to an emphasis on the prophets. And he transitioned Israel from being uh, a theocracy entirely where they had no king, they had no rulers, they were, God was ruling, God provided. He moved them from a theocracy to what? What kind of government did Samuel move the the people of Israel from, the nation of Israel from? Okay, that's one question. Saul was out on an errand for his father Kish. Now, this is Saul when he met Samuel. Saul was out running an errand for his father. What was the errand? What was he trying? He had lost something. He was trying to find it. If you know the answers to these questions, give me a call. 340-9585. We'll be right back. And now, a word from Bob Jenkins of Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services. Hi, I'm Bob Jenkins of Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services. And we at Bob Jenkins say safety is our first concern. As stewards of the environment, we believe in protecting the ecosystem by defending and protecting your home from pests and keeping your lawn healthy and weed-free. Wait a minute. I'm Bob Jenkins of Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services, and we take pride in our customer service and have for over 30 years. It's no wonder we at Bob Jenkins have won the Super Service award 10 years in a row i'm sorry but i'm bob jenkins of bob jenkins pest and lawn services when you call me bob jenkins we'll find and fix the problem you're having if it's rodents insects stinging bugs or if you need help killing weeds and bringing your lawn back to life call bob jenkins pest and lawn services today and get 20 dollars off your initial pest control service and ask about the mosquito treatment special 210-979-PEST jenkinspest.com i'm bob jenkins and i approve of this message 
Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. I'm George Harris, former pastor of the Castle Hills First Baptist Church. Let me encourage you to listen to G.D. Coppage on Revival Ministry, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. here on KSLR 630, The Word. Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR and KSLR.com. Local and national teachers you know and trust. We are AM 630, The Word. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We are back. That's what faith can do. That's what it's all about here at The Bible Live. It's not just uh, knowing the answers and knowing the chapter and the verse and the, the little details, but getting to know the author, getting to know the God of the Scriptures. That's, uh, of course, in walking by faith and trust in him and obe- showing our faith and trust by our obedience. And uh, that's that's uh, that's the bottom line here of the scriptures. I, I knew a pastor here of a big, big one of our great churches. We have a number of really fine uh, congregations here in our city. And um, he, he used to say, well, just read the Bible and do what it says. <laughs> that's pretty, that pretty much sums it up, uh, I guess. And it is, uh, I'm, I'm sure quite simplistic and it's not really really and exactly that's not exactly all there is to it i suppose though if you did that it, uh, it would uh, make a big difference uh in our experience but anyway uh that's what we're about here on the bible live the quiz show we've got uh some questions out there on the airwaves and folks are calling in to give us some answers let me go back here i think uh rich is calling back oh uh rich is calling <laughs> let me get that real quick. Rich, how are you tonight? I, well, Sophie, I didn't want to take up a lot of your time with that for the other callers, but I had problem? to try and answer that one question. Which one? Uh, you said God uh, said a verse while he was on the cross? Yeah, Jesus said a verse of Scripture. He said Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there's another... I'm thinking... Yeah, another I, I, I'm going to tell you the other one, I think. Okay. Uh, 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, that's a good try, though. It was He did say that, but that's not a passage that we have uh, from the that, Hebrew that's, Scriptures. There that's is, all right. I'm, I'm still glad that I could try and answer. Good for you. Good for you, friend. Okay. Thanks, Let me thanks Shelby. Line two. Let's go to line two and talk with Jim is on the line with us. How are you, Jim? Very well. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. You got some answers for us, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I want to ask you a little bit, too, if you had some reaction. The question I thought was real intriguing that you selected was the one about the veil that was torn from top to bottom. Yes, yes. Which is the veil to the Holy of... I'm sorry, you you. Go ahead. No, no, that's it. Uh, I wanted to ask you which which curtain or which veil was it that was torn? It was the one that was the entrance to the Holy of Holies. Exactly. Was it not? It separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the the most sacred place. Where tell us, and I know Jim, you 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 have some information here. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to tell us a little bit about the holy place and the holy of holies. Uh, it, it's part of the tabernacle early on, and then of course the same design was built into the temple, Solomon's temple there. Uh, so tell me about the holy place and the holy of holies. Can you do that for us? Let's see if I can give you some details. Uh, in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. And the uh, seat on top of it with the angels. Yes. Uh, we point toward one another. Um, the, whole, the high priest could go in there once a year. Yes. And, on, uh, what day? on what day? Was it the Day of Atonement? Yom Kippur, yes. The Day of Atonement. Yes, sir. Kippur. And so and, uh, that's the Holy of Holies, and there was this, there was this thick curtain separating that room all by itself, that one furnishing, that one thing was in the, the uh, gold-covered uh, Ark of the Covenant. And then in the holy place, now that would be a little harder. Do you happen to remember some of the furnishings in that room? There was a table for the incense. Was that there, along with the bread of the presence and the lampstand? Was all that in that same area? I think the incense was out front if i remember correctly i could uh, i may be wrong there but i think there was the bread of the uh the 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 uh, the show bread they called it that was the bread that uh, the, the priests could have as they were carrying out their duties and there was a the, uh, there was a lamp do you remember what light was there there was lighting in that room Kindle with the buds that look like almonds. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a name for it. We give it today, and it's called the menorah, right? Ah, <laughs> I believe it's at seven uh, with seven uh, candles there. Great, e- excellent. I, I I'm proud of you for giving those, those details, and um, the, the give me some significance. Talk to me a little bit about why the curtain is mentioned here in Luke chapter 23. The curtain is torn, and significantly it says it's torn from top to bottom, which is kind of an interesting detail as to why. Why do you think that it was to- Why was that curtain torn, and then why was it so important that it was torn from top to bottom? Sure. Oh, well, yes. Yes, some good details you've noticed. That's good questions. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think I've heard that top to bottom, just an indication that, God himself tore it. You know, it wouldn't be something that man could do. And uh, I guess the significance 
for us, of course, as believers, is that now we have access into the throne of grace, as it talks about in Hebrews. Oh, my Lord. But what Jesus did on the cross, it was finished. When he said it's finished, and yeah. so uh, the veil is, is torn. We no longer have to, to rely on that priest going for us. Amazing, or amazing. The, all, that, all of those centuries, just hundreds, uh, thousands of years, they've been waiting. The, remember back in Genesis 3.15, you know, the... The, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he told the serpent, and uh, you will uh, bruise his heel, but he's going to you know, stomp, uh, destroy you, your head. Uh, and and the, that first kind of vague but specific in terms of, well, we, what do we learn about Messiah from that verse? Well, he's going to be a human being. He's not going to be an extraterrestrial or an angel. He's going to be a male of the species that narrows it down to half of the human race. And so, you know, we're, we're told that the, this Redeemer, this Savior, this one is going to come. And in all through the Hebrew Scriptures, all those many, many, many centuries, we're told. And, and then, and, and this, it, but it had to happen in time and space. It had to, it had to really happen. And, and it did. Uh, that, that's, that's the astounding thing, uh, the, the beautiful, wondrous thing about the gospel message is that it, it, it's not just a fairy tale. It's not just, you know, pie in the sky kind of a philosophical thing. It's It really happened. God really did carry out a work of redemption, of redeeming, buying our, our, our freedom. Uh, as uh, mentioned earlier, you know, just a picture of the taking us out of Egypt, out of bondage to wickedness and sin into his kingdom and giving us access. I, I'm just I'm just astounded by that, to tell you the truth. It. it I think we should not become so familiar with these ideas and thoughts that that we just say them without <laughs> without a little bit of awe, shock and awe. <laughs> it's an amazing truth. It really is. Well, brother, I appreciate you calling in. Those those are very. Anything else you'd like to add or think? I know you you man of faith. Maybe you have a thought you'd like to further that you'd like to share. I'm not putting any pressure on you, but I want to make sure you feel the oh, freedom. Thanks. You're the man of faith here. <laughs> no, thanks for the, the question. I wonder what you might have in re- say in regard to, I don't want to read too much into this, in regard to God our Father's emotions at that event, but, you know, uh, of course he saw his son on the cross uh, yeah. suffering, and, uh, you know, knowing what was coming up, and, I, you know, I just can't think, but wonder, you know, he's just waiting for Jesus to, to finish that work and to say it's finished. So he could then, you know, see the end of his suffering. You know, as a father would see his own son suffer, you know, in a human sense. You can't imagine that God didn't have, you know, just multiplied amounts of that same emotion. So I, that's just so interesting to me that, that God didn't wait around and tear the veil, you know, a couple hours afterwards. You know, he was finished. He tore it. <laughs> we now have access. Yeah. And, like, now, now Heavenly Father can open his arms wide and welcome his son back into the fellowship, you know, when he rises again. It's like, I, I just can't kind of just help but think, there's a lot of stuff going on there if I meditate on it and in oh, regards to my father's boasting. Oh, there is. There really is. And listen, I don't want to bum you out, okay, because uh, I know this could be just a tiny, slight bit controversial. I, oh, I read the book uh, 20 years ago or 15, 20, 20, I don't even know when it was, called The Shack. Uh, and I was deeply moved and stirred, and, and, and it, 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 it tested my, my thinking and made me think deeply about God and his nature and so on. And so I never did, but but I was so surprised even way back then that controversy rose up around the book, around the idea of it. And I, and I don't know if you remember it or if you were uh, remember what happened, but that movie is here in town. I saw it this past week. And, I haven't seen it. 
it deals with some of these very same issues about uh, about how God views pain and suffering. Uh, it's 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 deep uh, in this story, and, and and about the Godhead, about the nature of the. Uh, of the uh, the Godhead itself, the the plurality of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the relationship, and I I, I found it very thought provoking, and I, I didn't find it disrespectful in any in any sense. But I was curious if you had seen it, if you uh, no, I haven't seen about it. it. Well, yeah, you might you might want to. It's it's one of the. Um, I, I I would say it's it's not in the genre necessarily of the purely like you know Christian movie. Sort of idea, but but it's very thought provoking, and uh, I, I I think you might enjoy it. I, I I hesitate to say that because I know that some people they didn't like it, and I so I, I it could be that you wouldn't either. I don't know, but I, I, maybe you'd maybe you'd like to give it a look, see, and see what you think. At least it give you something to think about for sure. And it, sure. it and it brings up these very same topics we're we're on oh, tonight. Okay. I, I, we'll talk about them a little further here during the program as well. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good to All hear right. from you. All right. Well, goodness, we're getting a lot of calls tonight, and I'm appreciating you calling in, folks, 340-9585. And I'm still intrigued and wanting to know, and and really it delves deep into the redemptive plan of God. We, I asked this question, before going out to preach the gospel, the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem until what happened? Well, Uh, Jesus had told them to wait for the comforter that the father was going to send. And he had told them before his death as well that the father was going to send the comforter and he would guide them into all truth. He would give them words to speak when they were put on trial and so on. The the spirit, there's so many promises made about what the ministry that the Holy Spirit is going to exercise on our behalf. So. My question to you is, uh, why did the Holy Spirit come at that particular time? Now, I am not positive that this can be established entirely out of chapter and verse. But we are told in in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, that Paul mentions to the uh, the uh, churches, you know, this is a, a, a Galatia was not a city. It was a region of, of uh, Greece at the time, part of the Roman Empire. And Paul mentions to them uh, as the letter, his letter is passed around to different congregations. Uh, he's talking to them. He said, that's and that's the way it was with us. He's talking about. uh Think. I'll read the entire passage. Think of it this way, he says. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. Mm, interesting thought, huh? They, had, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. That's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But then look what he says. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, when he talks about slaves to the law, 
uh, he's not talking about disrespect for the law or that the law no longer has any. The, the laws of God, the commandments of God are the uh, are a picture of the the holy, beautiful, righteous character of our great and good God. So there's nothing wrong with the law in that sense. What we were delivered from is the condemnation. We were in bondage because of our disobedience to the law, and we have been delivered from uh, our the condemnation of the law because of Messiah's redemptive work on our behalf. But he says, when the right time came, in the right moment, and that means in history, there was a reason that Jesus was born and came when he came. And we've talked about that before, especially when we get to the book of Galatians in this in this gospel. There were there were some very specific, very unique things that happened uh, during that time when Jesus was born. There was the uh, Pax Romana. There were the Roman roads. You know, there was a Roman peace that had been established. They dominated the, the civilized world of that time, the known world. And there was the Roman roads. Uh, there, there, there was a common language, the lingua franca, which was the Greek because of the Greek influence uh, before the time of Rome. And then there were these, uh, there were these little potted plants sitting around all over the known world of that time. There were these little communities of people that were there sitting there waiting and ready to hear the, the message of Messiah and ready to translate it and, and communicate it clearly to the pagan or the, the Gentile um, culture around them. And who was that? Those were the Jews that had been scattered during the diaspora. They had been scattered around through the Roman Empire. And so everywhere Paul went in Ephesus uh, and Thessalonica and so these cities, he would go and check in at the at the uh, synagogue. And he found there people who knew the language, who knew the culture, who had been living there in that in that community and who also understood uh, the Messiah. They also understood that, you know, these were the Jewish people who had who were fleeing from persecution and so on across the Roman Empire. And so you could see this was a very special moment. There was a common language. There was relative peace and protection. Remember, Paul himself was delivered several times, uh, saved from hostile crowds because of Roman soldiers that protected him uh, because he was a Roman citizen, if you remember that from the book of Acts. And so this all happened in the timing of God. Um, and so this also would have to do then with why did the Holy Spirit not come in this? And again, remember when I say the Holy Spirit coming, I don't mean arriving at planet Earth. I'm talking about why did the Holy Spirit at this time, only after the death and resurrection ascension of Messiah, why did the Holy Spirit begin at that time to indwell every believer so that now we know from the scriptures that every time a person gives their heart and life to, to, to Christ, to surrenders their life to Christ, begins to trust in him for that relationship, for forgiveness, cleansing, and for to be made right with God, to brought to right standing with God, uh, the, the condemnation, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. Every time that happens, the Spirit of God is dispatched immediately upon the conversion, upon their new, uh, their new birth, he is dispatched and sent to be their escort. Now, when I'm uh, teaching out at Lackland Air Force Base to our basic trainees at, at in the United States Air Force, we talk. They all have the concept of a wingman. 
You always have a wingman. You always have someone watching your back. Two people really committed to each other and, and protecting each other and warning each other and, and, and helping each other succeed. And uh, so uh, we always talk about the Holy Spirit is our divine wingman. He is there to escort you and me to glory, and he will not fail in that mission. He's going to get us there. Uh, come what may, he will not leave us on the battlefield. He will never abandon us. He will never fail. He's going to get us to glory. Now, the question is, is he going to get us there kicking and screaming and complaining and miserable, or, or are we going to get there uh, um, trusting in him and, and, and collaborating with him in the in the uh, work of transforming and empowering our lives and, and get to glory in, in, a, in a cooperative, trusting, and victorious relationship with him, a joyful uh, relationship? Or uh, do we, uh, like the children of Israel, wandering in the wilderness? Are we just kind of wandering? We're being guided, of course, but we're not experiencing the joy. We're not experiencing the journey, the joy of the journey. So anyway, uh, my question to you is, why did the Holy Spirit come at this particular time. I don't know if you might have thought about it. And once again, I tell you, I'm not quite sure. I know chapter and verse on this one. I, I can, I'm can. i not quite sure, but I, I, I'm pretty convinced of its biblical basis. And so I'd love to hear if any of you can have a guess at that question. I'd love to hear from you. 340-9585 is our phone number. Why did the Holy Spirit come after, only after uh, Messiah completed his work all right so let's go back and pick up a question or two we've answered a lot of questions tonight um let's see here from the book of proverbs from the book of proverbs this makes me think of of uh, jacob uh he always teaches us about these three words i'll mention them in a moment according to proverbs 8 proverbs chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 he says, nothing, not gold, silver, or rubies, nothing compares with the value of what? All right, so give us a call if you'd like, 340-9585. In Proverbs chapter 8, we are told in that uh, verses 10 and 11 that there is something that is worth more than gold, silver, or rubies. What is it? And um, again, that kind of makes me think of my good friend Jacob. I I miss him tonight, but we'll uh, he use. I'll, I'll try to remember what he often tells us, so that you'll you'll get the benefit of that uh, of that um, insight that he gives us. Okay, let me give you another question here. Uh, okay, now on Resurrection Day, I and another disciple were on the road when Jesus met us. I was walking on the road, uh, and it's called. Uh, uh, the road to Emmaus. And Jacob says in Hebrew, that comes very close to the Hebrew word faith. So they were on the road to faith, maybe. And that's an interesting insight from the Hebrew language. But he says, I and another disciple were on the road when when Jesus met us. Who am I and where were we going? Um, Now, I'm going to give you the answer to that. I'm going to tell you that it was, according to Luke chapter 24, now we're not told in the in the other uh, gospel that we're not given the name, but here we are given the name of this individual. His name was Cleopas, Cleopas, and possibly it is thought that possibly he was traveling with his wife on the road to Emmaus. That's a little village. Uh, it is thought to be about fifteen miles to the west 
uh, away from the River Jordan uh, in, into Israel, further into Israel, to the west of Jerusalem. Cleopas and his, possibly his wife were on the road, and Jesus appears to them. They were mourning and grieving uh, because he, of his death and, and so on. And again, as I said, uh, not understanding, they were confused. But what did Jesus use? What did Jesus use to show the two traveling disciples that Messiah had to suffer, die, and be resurrected? What did he, you know, he meets them there on the road and he sees them in their sadness and their grief. And he says, why are you surprised? Don't you know that the Messiah had to do that? He had to suffer and die and be re- uh, what did he use to demonstrate that to them? Okay, give me a call, 340-9585, if you know the answer. I'd love to hear from you. Now, this from the book of 1 Samuel. The priest Eli saw Hannah at the tabernacle and thought she was drunk. What she was doing? What was she doing? Well, I'll give you the answer to that question. She was praying. Remember that uh, Hannah was one of two wives to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives. Hannah was one, and, and another, a woman named Penina was the other wife. Penina was constantly ridiculing and, and persecuting Hannah because she was barren. She could not have children. While Penina had several children and brought great joy, of course, to uh, her husband and all that sort of thing. Remember, children are a gift from God, and they uh, you know, a lot of their even their well-being as a family was dependent on a lot of children and growing to you know more workers, more people to. Uh, plow the fields and and so on, and so children were important in every way, not only just to love and and uh, you know be our children. Uh, they had a great importance, and so uh, Panina constantly ridiculed Hannah, and Hannah was there at the tabernacle. She was crying, she was weeping, uh, and praying to God about this uh, about the the sadness of her situation. So uh, my question now to you is, what vow did God, did Hannah make to God? What promise did Hannah make to the Lord if he would give her a son? She said, God, if you give me a son, I'll do something. What promise did she make to the Lord? And chapter 1, verse 11. All right. And then uh, Hannah prays. A prayer of praise, if you look in First Samuel chapter 2, Hannah uh, has cause to celebrate and worship God, and she celebrates his, his, um, his sovereignty, his control over two specific areas of human existence. What are those two areas? It's a little bit of a hard question, but I, I'm give, I'll tell you where the answer is. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 in her prayer. Now, this is, is a beautiful prayer. Uh, it, it's up there with the prayer of uh, of Deborah. Remember that song of praise that Deborah prayed? It's like the prayer of Mary when pr- Mary praises God, you know, after she is told that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer, the prayer of Hannah. But she mentions in there that God is in absolute control over two aspects of our human experience. What two aspects, all right? And you'd be interested to know this. Um they are very practical. Okay, now then, Samuel was a transitional person uh, from the time of the judges to the time of the prophets. In other words, the, the, the judges were now on the out. They, 
They were moving into a new era, and it was going to be a time when when uh, the prophets would speak for God. And then also, in terms of their government, they moved from being a theocracy to what? From a theocracy to what? So uh, you can give me a call if you'd like to answer that question. And then finally, let me give you this question. Saul, the first king of Israel, before he became king, Saul was out on an errand for his father, Kish, when he met Samuel. Saul was out on an errand when he met Samuel. What was the errand? What was he out there doing? If you know the answer to that question, give us a call, 340-9585. Let me give you another uh, question just while I've got you there. When Samuel called a meeting of the tribal leaders to publicly present and crown Saul as the first king of Israel, they couldn't find Saul. Where was he hiding? He was quite shy, evidently. Where was he hiding? 340-9585. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Great to have you back tonight for the final segment here on the Bible Live, the quiz show. We're asking you questions from our readings. Our scheduled Bible reading this past week was from uh, the Gospel of Luke. We finished it up, the final chapters, 20 through 24. And then we went back to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, picking up at the book of First Samuel. Now, remember, First and Second Samuel were uh, originally one book, all one story they uh I, if i remember correctly it was divided at the time of the um hmm, the greek version uh, of the uh, hebrew scriptures was created it seems to me like that was when it was divided it was a logistics thing about with with in terms of i think material or something somehow but it was divided uh, uh at, at that time i believe so um We've got this continu- this story then, this transitional time from, remember there was about a 300, 325-year period of the judges, these 12 leaders uh, that uh, God raised up over a period of time. And we, and we, we were very uh, clear when we read the book of Judges that how it was a, a very dark, difficult period of time when they, the people of Israel, the, the generation that followed after uh, Joshua, his leadership and so on, they... they they continually and just uh, progressively moved away from God, and there's a downward spiral, and until the final chapters are, are so ugly, they're so very they're almost depressing to read about how low the the nation had sunk and become. And of course, listen, folks, now for the first time, uh, living through the last fifty years in America, to some degree, I'll be I'll be honest, I th- I see now and understand how quickly it can happen. Uh, it, it is, it is not, uh, it is not difficult to understand how a um, a nation, a people group, can move away from God and away from God's blessing. And no matter how much God has done and blessed them and revealed Himself, uh, d- we're always just kind of one generation away from decline, one generation away 
from uh, apostasy, from walking away from God and losing his blessing uh, on us as a people. And uh, we've seen a lot of that. There's some terrible things. And, yes, nobody likes to be a doomsday or anything, but uh, we're, we, we, we've made some terrible decisions. And hopefully we can undo some of those decisions uh, here in, in this this. This time, right? This era, this this president. I don't, I don't know. God used a lot of, a lot more unlikely leaders than Donald Trump. Although I'm not sure how much more unlikely, uh, but God used some pretty unlikely people in the Old Testament to uh, bring about His uh, deliverance, even from for the people of Israel, and to um, and to deliver them and to uh, correct them. And so we could see what will happen. It seems like there is an opportunity uh, that we have. But anyway, we have uh, we've been looking at these from the Gospel of Luke and the story of uh, Samuel, this remarkable individual. Uh, I've asked the question, what vow did his mother Hannah make to the Lord if he would give her a son? And uh, if you look in chapter one, verse 11, Hannah promised that she would uh, dedicate his life the life of that child, to God. And this is uh, what is uh, called a um, Nazarite vow or promise. John the Baptist was uh, the same. His parents had made the same promise. Uh, a Nazarite vow. It's kind of like being on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, I think. Uh, it was kind of a parachurch. They, they weren't the priests. They weren't in the priesthood. Uh, but they they wanted to serve God. They were called to serve God, and so they made this special promise. The parents did, and the child, and and so that's how Samuel grew up at a very early age. Uh, after he was weaned from his mother, he went to live with Eli, the high priest of the era of that time. And uh, Eli it, it raises him, and it's a very interesting. Uh, he's born in the town of Rama, Rama. And uh, he then grows up in a very special um, childhood, a very remarkable, and, and he was, of course, a very remarkable individual. It seemed uh, that God's hand was indeed upon him from from childhood. Uh, and and I, 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 don't get me wrong, folks, I'm not, I'm not a Samuel, and, and none of us are, but any of you who came to know the Lord when you were a child, uh, we do have that kind of sense that, wow, that God found us and called us and helped us to understand uh, as a child. And, and, and we've had this awesome privilege of walking, uh, you know, a lifetime. I was out on a walk with my uh, my wife, Suzanne, tonight. And Suzanne and I were taking a little walk around the neighborhood and just talking about, you know, what it was as we both came to faith when we were. Uh, Suzanne, believe it or not, was just five years old when she uh, decided to trust in Jesus, invite him into her life. Now, what what a five-year-old knows about theology and, and the redemptive plan of God and all the deep, you know, uh, deeper questions of the deeper questions of the deeper meaning of the deeper meanings of all the verses. And all. Uh, none of that, but the simplicity of responding to God, desiring and wanting God, and being willing to trust in who Jesus was and what he did on our behalf to to walk by faith into that relationship with God. That is... That's easy for a child to do. A child understands that. A child is moved and stirred by the, 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 by the idea that someone loved us so much that he would die for us and give his life. And I was the same way at age seven or eight. I, I heard that story, and I was deeply moved. I was a little orphan kid. 
no mom, no dad. I've been passed around to a lot of 16 different families before I was six. And then to put into a home for homeless and delinquent boys with 400 hairy-legged guys uh, on a 2,500-acre ranch. We milked the cows, slopped the hogs, and rode the horses and did the cowboy thing. You know, yeah, that's right. I was an Indian, but I was also a cowboy. Uh, Good to play both sides of the formula when you get a chance, right? But uh, when I was seven or eight years old, I heard that old story. And I did want to open the door of my heart and and uh, ask Jesus to come in. So uh, you know, and after walking with Him all these years, you get this idea that wow, God called us early, and 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 we walked with Him, and 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 just seen Him work our whole lives, you know, from childhood and through our teen years, and it's just a remarkable experience. And I I sometimes identify a little bit then with with Samuel. He's raised in in the Lord, he in the things of God. He he understands. He knows the scriptures. I'm sure Eli taught him the the, the Torah and and um, all of these things. So so, Eli, but but Samuel was particularly and especially responsive as well, and uh, and God honored that in his life. And so we see Samuel being uh, a transitional in- individual. I'm going to uh, I'm going to answer the question I asked you about Hannah's prayer of praise uh, in First Samuel chapter two. Hannah's prayer of praise, like I said, it's a beautiful prayer, but she celebrates God's control over one, life and death, and two, wealth and poverty. And and that very interestingly, I mean, I'm not saying that, that her prayer was particularly necessarily messianic, but it, it, Jesus demonstrated in his life, uh, in his ministry, that he too was the Lord of life and death. He he interrupted more than a few funerals, <laughs> and he disrupted the funeral in the good way in that he raised uh, children, he restored them to their parents, to their mother. Uh, he, he raised his friend Lazarus to his family, his sisters Mary and Martha. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he disrupted a number of funerals. He, he demonstrated that he was Lord over life and death. And, of course, uh, wealth and poverty. Remember he, how he met the needs of individuals? The, the, uh, I, I'm thinking of when he when he paid Peter's taxes. Remember they said, why did your disciples not ra- uh, pay the, the temple tax? And it, some see that as a, the idea that, that none of the uh, disciples were over 20, except Jesus and Peter maybe. But... Uh, uh, and it could be, I suppose, but uh, we see him, you know, pulling fish uh, money out of the fish's mouth. Uh, at least we look at it and read it that way in the text. So, uh, you know, we I think there's a little bit of Jesus demonstrating that he, too, is the Lord of life and death. And he is. Uh, and Hannah said that he, he is in charge of who becomes wealthy. He gives the ability to make wealth. And and who uh, will be poorer, you know? And that's I've often wondered. Well, Lord, why couldn't I give that wealth side a, a try? But uh, you know, the Lord has kind of kept us on the, uh, on the the humble side of of that formula. But uh, uh, someday we'll all live in mansions and and walk on golden streets, right? <laughs> so I'm excited about it. But God has been faithful, uh, providing all of our needs uh, according to His riches in Christ Jesus. That is for sure. Well, that's the answer to that question. Those. Uh, uh, what did Hannah pray about? Now then, um, Samuel transitioned Israel from the time of the judges to the time of the prophets and from a theocracy to a monarchy. Remember, now he is the one who finds and, and uh, anoints the first king of Israel, 
this young man named Saul, who's not, I mean, he's a tall, handsome, good-looking guy, and uh, had a lot of potential. That was what kind of Saul represents in some ways, is unrealized potential. It's kind of like uh, Samson. Uh, there was so much possibility for good, and yet uh, it, it was unrealized in the life of Saul. Uh so I ask these questions. Let me let me jump back to my question before. If you want to give a call uh, about any of these questions or a thought, uh, especially I'm wanting to know your your thoughts about why did the Holy Spirit begin this unique new relationship with the people of God in the um, in the in the book of Acts. We read about it, Acts chapter two. Uh, remember, the disciples obey Jesus. They do what he says. They go and they wait in Jerusalem in an upper room there, probably, maybe possibly the same room that they had been in for the uh, the Last Supper, for that Passover meal they enjoyed with him. Could have been that same room. But there they were, about 120 of them, pr- in a prayer meeting. And uh, they it got interrupted. Uh, and and uh, there was a sound of uh, wind and there were uh, 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 images or likenesses of, of, of uh, flames uh, ab- above them, and this the symbolism and the sound of a rushing wind, and the Spirit of God begins at that time a new relationship with His people, and He begins a new era. We call it the Church Age. Uh, some people call it the uh, <laughs> the, um, the I call it and. Uh, and uh, choose to call it the the era, the time of the Holy Spirit. Although uh, the church age is good because of the, this this is the idea that God is calling out a people for Himself. He always has been from Genesis all the way through the entire Bible. But here is a significant new development that that um, accelerates the proclamation of the message of the one true and living God around planet Earth. The the truth about uh, God, the truth about Yahweh, about Jehovah, uh, explodes out of the Jewish community. And it wasn't limited only to Jewish people, but principally uh, it was uh, among the Jewish people. They had, in some levels and at some times, been faithful to the calling to to share the message of, of good news, the message of the true and living God with other people, with other nations. They did uh, exert a... a uh, of positive influence often for the true and living God. Even uh, even in Babylon, remember Daniel was over there and earned great respect and had a great influence for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, others as well. David later on uh, has a great positive influence over uh, uh, the Queen of Sheba and over the the, the, the king, I remember, of... Uh, of um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the... the mm, Syria up there, maybe a different name for it now. It's not Syria. I'm looking for a different name. But he exerts a positive influence over other uh, monarchs of, of his era, the time in which he lived, for for the true and living God, for for, for God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so um, the point is, is that God is doing it, calling out a people for himself, and it gets accelerated at this time with the coming of Messiah. It had to happen in time and space. Uh, the 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 atonement had to be made, and so um, when Jesus completes that, now this is the significance of the incarnation. Uh, 
and, and it's it, it's an incredibly deep mystery, and no one pretends, uh, I least of all, pretends to have it all locked down and clear. I mean, how the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of everything that exists in the world, how God uh, became a man is is it's an astounding thought. There are several things that bear mentioning, though. One is that we it was not like a rock becoming a tree or a tree becoming a horse. Uh, they are we are created in God's image. We are uniquely created in the animal kingdom as uh, as uh, as persons. We have intellect. We have emotion. We have volition. We have free will. We make decisions. We have the gift of reason and understanding, and uh, and so on. So we and we make independent choices. Uh, we we decide about uh, the the path we'll take. Now the choices are we make do not infringe upon God's omnipotence by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, our free will is limited. Uh, it, it is a conditional free will. We make real decisions without a doubt. We make real decisions that have consequence and, 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 and make a difference. But we make those decisions from the options that God in his sovereignty has given us. Uh, God gives us uh, options. He has created the, the playing field. Uh, and we make decisions, real decisions, but they do not. Uh, but all of our decisions fit within and under the sovereignty of God. Uh, every decision we make. So there, there's no real conflict between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. But what I'm trying to point out here is that we, uh, we, it's not like when God created man, when God became a man, uh, that he, that it's, it's, it's uh, absurd and un- unthinkable. Uh, any more than we talk all the time about how a man, a man, by abandoning the gift of reason, by abandoning the gift of of responsibility and 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 and, and free will, and, and 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 abusing that gift to infringe on the rights and hurt other people and and rob and steal and destroy and murder and so on and so on, that we often talk and use the idea that well he's an animal he's a man and, and Jacob has talked to us about this before that the the animal aspect of God and the spirit of man. And this uh, versus the spiritual dimension, the good aspect of the the higher nature, and we talk about that. And and so, in the same way that a man uh, by by listening can become, in a sense, an animal. I think, in a sense, God uh, can. He uh, he the infinite became finite. The totally and absolutely independent became dependent. Uh, the unlimited became limited. He. But he never ceased being God from the time he was a tiny little fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he died on that cross. Jesus never ceased being God, but he but he voluntarily and that's another aspect of the incarnation is that Messiah voluntarily did this. Uh, uh, the, the, the father, the, the son and the spirit are three uh, d- distinct persons each with all the uh, characteristics of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will. 
Now, the, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit has a will. He he led uh, Paul in the book of Acts. He guided him on his journeys, and he forbade him to go here. He has a will. He has a, a direction and a, an intent, a guidance, and he guides us into all truth. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three distinct persons, but all with the all the attributes as well, all the attributes of deity, omnipotence, omniscience, eternal nature, omnipresence, holiness, uh, righteousness, just, loving, uh, all of these, by the way. And, and so the, the three distinct persons, uh, it, it, they could be thought of as three distinct gods, but they are so perfectly united. They are so perfectly in harmony with one another in their love for each other. The only competition you ever see between the Father, the Son, the Spirit, it seems to be <laughs> kind of jokingly said here, uh, it seems to be how they seem to they seem to compete with each other to see which one can can exalt, can praise, uh, can honor the other one the most. The Father says, this is my beloved Son. Jesus exalts and praises the Father. The, he says, the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, He will glorify me and speak of me. And, 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 and uh, it, it's just a, an eternal circle of love and devotion. So that's, that's what we have is that in the God of the Scriptures are these three distinct persons that are clearly presented to us, each with the attributes and characteristics of personhood, each with the attributes of deity, and yet they are so perfectly united, so perfectly in harmony with one another. A, a, a relational, a social miracle. God at his very core, the Godhead, is social, is relational. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he created us to be relational. Uh, my daughter asked me a question. Oh, uh, I suppose maybe it's been a couple of years. One time we were talking and we had been talking about this wonderful truth. And uh, she loves to read the scriptures and, and, and does a lot of reading of theologians and all. And she came to me with a question. She said, you know, Dad, the Bible says that God is love. We're told that very clearly in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, in the, the letter of, of uh, the Apostle John. In the first, first, cha- first John, God is love, uh, embodies love. He is love in his very essence, in, in his core. God is love. And then she says, well... Before God created anyone or anything, before he created the angels, before he created anything, who did he love? <laughs> and I, I thought, wow, what an interesting question. If God, his very nature is love. Who did he love in eternity past? And that's, of course, a, it kind of gives us a little bit of an inkling that, that God didn't create the human race so he'd have somebody to love. The Godhead, the, they were perfectly thrilled and perfectly complete in their love and a devotion, fulfilled in their love and devotion to one another. Um, but in in the Godhead, the decision corporately was made between them. Uh, now, the, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're co-equal. Uh, they are um, known greater than the other, none lesser uh, in the Godhead, and with this perfect love and oneness and unity. And yet the Son voluntarily takes on flesh in the uh, redemptive plan of God, and why did He do that? Why was He? Did He? Uh, uh, he Mary was uh, conceived. Uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. From the time He was a fertilized egg, there He became a new creation. He was the He was the second Adam, the new uh, the race of the redeemed. It was a uh, God. It, the redemptive plan of God involved uh, 
recreating, in a sense, a new race of redeemed individuals from uh, the fallen race. And uh, so Jesus came. He lived it. He did what Adam was unable to do. He lived a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, total dependence. Now, if you read, when we get to the Gospel of John, you'll see how various times Jesus says very clearly, I can't do anything of myself. And you wonder, what in the world does that mean? He's the Son of God. He can do anything he wants. Ah, but not to fulfill the role of the Messiah. He had to live a life of total, absolute dependence and trust and, and submission to the Father. And so he, as Paul explains in Philippians chapter 2, he takes off. He doesn't cease being God, but he voluntarily leaves off the free exercise of his divine prerogatives, initiatives, and power and, and, and authority as God to walk out the walk of a man limited in a man of faith, trusting in God. He didn't know all the answers. Now, he knew a lot of them because he knew the scriptures. Uh, he knew the Bible. And we have a lot of potential. If we would read that Bible and get to know it, uh, we know a lot more than, than we could know a lot more than we do about God in our world and the reality as we get to understand his word and his ways. But that's what Jesus, Jesus was a man of faith who knew the things he knew because of his walk of faith with God, with the scriptures. And of course, as he followed God and obeyed him, the Holy Spirit was at work teaching and guiding and instructing and giving him. He grew in faith and grace and knowledge in favor with God and man, as the scriptures say. And so after Jesus, that's what he was here to do was he was the he was the prototype of the new creation. He was the prototype of the twice born, uh, the, 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 uh, the firstborn of the twice born. He was the, fo- the prototype now of the redeemed people of God, uh, redeemed where the price had been paid, the redemption it was complete. And now after he had fulfilled that and ascended to the Father uh, as a man seated at the right hand of the Father, now all of us who trust in Jesus, beginning with that first era, that first time, we are born again. We are reborn. We are new creation. Those aren't just figures of speech that we're told about in the Gospel of John or in the book of Second Corinthians 5.17. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things, The old things are passed away. All things have become new. Those are re- factual, real truths. We are born again. We are reborn. A new spiritual life comes. And the Holy Spirit, as he did in the life of Jesus now, the Holy Spirit has come alongside us to walk with us, to escort us. The paraclete, the one who comes alongside. Wonderful, beautiful message from the Gospel of Luke about the Messiah and about the relationship now to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate all your calls tonight. Enjoyed getting a chance to explain that beautiful, wonderful truth with you. I hope it is a blessing. We'll see you next Sunday night. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.